Good morning. It's good to see all of you at Cornerstone. Thanks for being here this weekend. You know, uh, I've had a lot of fun speaking the, the services this morning. I, I'm speaking this weekend. I will also be speaking next weekend. If I don't forget, or I should say, if I'm supposed to mention this to you at the end, but I'm a little worried I'll forget about it. On February 2nd, I'll be doing a seminar here at the church, and I'll be talking specifically on the subject of income, investing, debt, and retirement. And it'll be a seminar, and we'll do question and answers. I'll talk to you about uh, being in some coaching relationships. I'll give you an opportunity to get into an actual small group to where you can have some people around you that you kind of help one another continue to work on the subject. Not, it's kind of for accountability, but no one's going to be standing there looking at your, your budget, anything like that. And so on February 2nd, I hope that you can come out and be a part of that. Again, I'll be speaking next weekend on this subject, and then February 2nd, which I think is a Thursday night here at the church. Now, the, you guys have figured out I'm going to talk to you about money, right? Tell the person next to you, you're going to talk about money. It, some people get really weird and freaked out when the church talks about money. If you're one of those people, you're about to have a really bad day, okay? And so, because I'm going to talk to you about money. Just before I do, though, I, I want to tell you, I couldn't be prouder of the ministry that's going on here at Cornerstone. Would you do me a favor and give a Cornerstone hand of appreciation for Pastor Andy? I told the last service, yeah, that Ron Armstrong, he can sure pick them, okay? In fact, any of you who have met my wife should know that I can sure pick them. I mean, you know, just married way above my station there. But, you know, when I went out looking for the, who's going to be the next lead pastor of the church, found Pastor Andy, and he is just such a wonderful young man. We were in a restaurant a few months back, and someone from the church happened to see us. And they came by, and, and they acted a little, a little funny and I thought, well, that was weird. And so they, they went and ate, and then they came back by, and they said, you know, I just wanted to tell you, I am so glad that you guys talk the way, that you guys look like such good friends. Guys, you need to know, Pastor Andy is like one of the best friends that I have in the world. He is just a wonderful young man. He's not a leader that I made. I've taught him how to lead a large church, but he already knew how to be a great leader the day he got here. He led Calvary Chapel's college here in the valley, did a fantastic job. He knows how, he's worked in ministry in the past, he knows how to lead within the church. He is just, like I said, I may have helped him in his pastoring direction, but he was already a fully formed leader, and I couldn't be prouder of him and the rest of the staff. They are just wonderful people. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into this subject. I'm going to talk to you about financial adulthood, because the Bible warns me about staying a child forever. In fact, it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, and that's okay when you're a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. In other words, at some point, we need to grow up. Handling our money is one of those areas where we have to grow up. I want you to picture for a moment, how many of you have either young children or nieces or nephews that are still fairly young? Raise your hand to you. You know someone like that. All right, picture yourself. You're going to a toy store. And you take your niece or nephew or your child and, and you pull out a $20 bill out of your wallet and you hand it to them and they head into the toy store. What are they going to do? They're going to go in and they're going to stop and say, you know, first of all, I need to honor the Lord with my tithe first. 
I need to set aside part of this for investing, and I need to make sure that I have my expenses covered and I will spend. That's not what they're going to do. What are they going to do? They are going to try and figure out how much can I get for this $20 bill. Friends, a lot of adults are doing the same thing. They are getting their paycheck, and without any more thought than that, it's how much can I get for this? When I was a child, it was okay to be a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We are called to be financial adults. Let's work through some principles. Here's the first one. Financial adulting and God's blessing equals prosperity. Now, what does adulting mean? Here's what, how I'm using it. Financial adulting means I'm gonna apply God's multiple principles and I'm gonna be willing to do the hard stuff. First of all, you need to know that the Bible speaks about all kinds of financial things. It talks about debt. It talks about income. It talks about priorities of our spending and priorities of our income. It talks about all kinds of things, about planning for the future. All of that stuff is contained in the Old and the New Testament. In other words, it's, there are multiple principles, and as an adult, I follow multiple principles, not just one. And I don't try and exclude the difficult things. A child, if something's hard, a child will say, I don't want to do it, that's hard. Friends, there's all kinds of things in life that are worth doing that are difficult. In fact, most of the great accomplishments you're going to have in life are going to be your willingness to do difficult things. In fact, I'll just be candid with you. Here at the church and in my personal life, I've always been willing to do hard stuff. And being willing to do hard stuff has been a blessing in my life. Oftentimes, people will say, well, that's hard. That must be a sign that I'm not supposed to do it. Sometimes we even spiritualize that attitude. We'll say, well, you know, this is, this is hard. Maybe, maybe that's a sign from the Lord. Now, when my kids were teenagers, I thought, this is hard. Maybe this is a sign from the Lord. I should give them away. But it wasn't, okay? We have to be willing to do difficult things. One of the basic principles of being an adult is that you force yourself to do hard stuff. My oldest son was in, in college in Orange County, and at the time, there was some financial turmoil going on in the nation. We were going into a recession and all that, and, and my oldest son, he asked me, he said, Dad, do you think I should live at home and commute in? And I, I told him, I said, son, to be candid, I could do that. And to be honest, I did that. When I was in law school, I was married, I was pastoring, the, I was working full time, and I drove to night school down in Orange County to finish my law degree. And so I, I knew I could do it. But I told him, I said, son, the, I, I'm a lot older, and I've had a lot more experience doing hard stuff. I don't think that you're quite mature enough to make it to class regularly if you're needing to commute in. In other words, I didn't think he was ready to be able to do that hard stuff. Would it have been good for him? Yes, but I didn't think he was ready to actually accomplish it. Friends, doing hard stuff is like building up muscles. The more we do it, the better we get. The stronger we get. The more we exercise self-discipline, the more self-discipline we develop. Look at the next one with me. This is not a prosperity message. I don't teach that here. The Bible doesn't teach that we'll all be rich. The Bible doesn't teach that none of us will ever get sick, and the Bible certainly doesn't teach that there'll never be tragedy in our lives. No, tragedy occurs in the homes of Christians as well as non-Christians. Not everyone who's a Christ follower is called to, to be a billionaire. Sometimes our current 
the uh, culture and our, our current generations have this idea, if you're not a billionaire by the time you're 30, somehow you're a failure, all right? No, that, that's not realistic. That's not the way the world really works. A, a person who's going to be successful, yes, God can bless them financially, but there's all kinds of things that make up prosperity in the life of a Christ follower. However, this does mean, even though I, I don't believe everyone's to be a billionaire, it does mean I believe God is generous with his children. Aren't you generous with your children? In fact, most parents, the problem isn't at this point, how much, or you know, do I have this to give? It's how much do I give without causing harm? Those of you who are parents of young adults, you wrestle with this. How much do I help my young adult? How much do I help them without doing harm to maybe their relationships with others or their, their uh, esteem as a person? In other words, if I help too much, then I begin to, to cause a person to feel like, well, you know, I, I, I'm not really standing on my own two feet. Part of that growth process is a blessing to them. One of the mistakes that parents make today, in my opinion, is that parents oftentimes are trying to protect their children from hard work instead of encouraging hard work. Those of you that have been successful in your business or in your career and God has blessed you, look back. What were the, what were the formative things for you? It was those early jobs that you took. In fact, if I had one thing to do differently as a parent, it would be this. I would have encouraged both my boys to have jobs by the time they were 12 or 13. Some parents think about that and say, no, 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 Pastor Anna, I want them to have time to be a kid. Friends, a person learns more from working than almost any other endeavor in life. A person develops a better sense of self. A person develops a greater sense of worth. There was, it, it's a huge blessing. I started working when I was 12 or 13 years old, and man, what a blessing it has been to my life. I learned how to work hard. I learned how to work smart. I learned how to persevere through difficult things. And I learned that working was not a curse in my life, that it was a blessing in my life. If you, if you are a young parent and you're wrestling with those kinds of issues, I would encourage you, be cautious about trying to protect your child from doing hard stuff in the end. It will be a blessing to them. Look at the next one with me. The God wants to be as generous with you as you are mature enough to handle. As we mature, I believe God blesses. There are behaviors that God will bless, just there's like there's behaviors God won't bless. The, and you're the same way. I was in the grocery store a few days ago, and on the next aisle, my eyesight's not all that great, but my hearing's really good. On the next aisle, I can hear, I can hear a young mom having an argument with her daughter. And I couldn't quite tell how old the daughter was, but they're going back and forth. And here's what the mom said. The mom said, your behavior has not earned that privilege today. And I thought, okay. And I thought, wonder what, and the daughter, she's arguing back and forth. And the mom is just sticking to her guns. No, your behavior has not earned that today. And you know, as I was walking out, I saw that she was a young mom, probably around 35 years old and had a child somewhere between eight and, and 10 or 11 years old. And I thought to myself, man, mom, hang in there. You are, go, you are blessing your child by learning to say no to your child. Most of the time, moms beat themselves up feeling like they're not doing enough for their family when the truth of the matter is you're probably doing too much for your family. The, when I get up from the table, I take my dishes with me, okay? And some of you are picking up all the dishes for the family. You know what my wife would say if I got up from the table and left my dishes there? 
She would ask me, is your leg broke? <laughs> the, the dish elves are not coming through to clean that up for you. There would be that expectation when we go to someone's house. When I get done eating, I pick up the dishes. Now, granted, at my house, the, if Debbie's not there and I'm eating, not only do I pick up the plate, I then fold it and throw it in the trash, okay? But if I go to someone else's house and I get done eating, I pick up my dishes. And you don't know how many people have just kind of had a little heart attack saying, oh, no, Pastor Ron, we'll get that, we'll get that. No, I know how to do this, okay? In other words, it, it, the expectation that as we mature, God is able to bless us more, that's a reasonable expectation. An earthly parent does it. How much more our heavenly father desires to give good gifts to his children. This attitude, though, of I can take care of myself as the definition of adulthood is not a reasonable one. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I can take care of myself. I'm an adult. Friends, taking care of yourself, that's not what adulthood means. But let, let's work through the progression. There's an infant. There's a child. There's a teenager. And there's an adult. What's the difference between them? Okay. An infant requires a high degree of care. A child requires a little bit less care. In other words, they're able to get up, they're able to learn to brush their own teeth. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that that child can learn to do. A teenager a teenager should be able to go in and make themselves something to eat, even if it's Cheerios. A teenager should be, in fact, a teenager should be able to wash their clothes. What a concept. <laughs> My eldest son, years ago, he went in and he berated his mother about how she had washed one of his shirts. Now, at the time, he was like 20. And he got all done and he walked out. And I, I looked at her and I said, do not ever wash any of his clothes again. He will learn to wash them because he is ungrateful for, for you doing it. Friends, a, a teenager, a young adult is clearly able to, they should require even less care. Than, and those of you that have teenagers, sometimes you don't care about them at all, but we'll leave that for another sermon. So, well, what's an adult? Well, I can care for myself. No. An adult is someone who can care for others. That's what an adult is. An adult isn't someone who can care for themselves. A teenager is able to care for themselves. An adult is someone who is able to show care for someone else. My youngest son, the, uh, you know, is, uh, he and I are really close and we have a lot of fun together. But you know, he has this strange thing about if I'm traveling, he'll say to me, he'll say, Dad, when you, when you, you get in, text me. And I'm thinking to myself, son, I wasn't a rotten teenager. You were a rotten teenager. Son, I, it, it, there's no, in fact, son, there is zero chance. There is zero chance of me stopping by a bar, getting sauced, and then going out and driving, okay? Just zero chance there, buddy. But he wants me to, to text him. That's because as he grew into adulthood, he learned that it's not just about caring for himself, it's about caring for others. Those of you who are married, you learn to care for your spouse. Say, well, you know, Pastor, my spouse can take care of themselves. Yeah, but it's your job to take care of them. It's my job to take care of my wife. It's her job to take care of me. It was our job to, as parents to take care of our kids. But now, my son is an adult. No, no, no. He cares 
for others. That's what he was a teacher for several years, caring for other people's kids. That's a definition of what adulthood is. It's not ability to care for yourself. It's are you growing to the point you can care for others? When you see a need and you think, man, you know, I could be a help with that, and then you say, well, I'll leave that. No, you're, you're an adult now. Financially, you see there's a need, you step in and help. It's your opportunity. In other words, adults care for more than just themselves. Let me give you the second principle. I can think about more than one thing at a time. Now, kids, this is kind of overwhelming to kids to think about more than one thing at a time. And, and so, you know, I can understand that. This is a, a, a talent that we develop over time. But a child will get overwhelmed and say, you know, I, I, can't, I can't think about more than... Actually, they don't say it. They just feel those feelings. As we mature, we be able, we're able to handle more than one thing at a time. The, when you're driving, you handle a lot of things at the same time, don't you? In other words, you're steering, you're, you know, signaling occasionally, you, you're, you know, you're putting a seatbelt on, and the truth of the matter is you're also texting and fiddling with the, the you know, the music, but the, you're doing more than one thing at a time. Friends, when it comes to your finances, you have to be able to do more than one thing at a time. And so finances actually look like this. We kind of have this puzzle We've got an income plan, a spending plan, a giving plan, a debt plan, and an investing plan. You can't eliminate any of those and still operate on the foundation of God's blessing. Adulting means I do more than one thing at a time. And so you have to have all of these pieces working together. If I only focus on one, man, I, I've got, I, I'm just gonna focus on my income. That's all I'm gonna focus on this year. Well, that's great, but no matter how much you make, it's easy to spend just a little bit more. Well, you know, I'm just going to focus on getting rid of debt. But if you don't get your spending under control, you'll never get debt under control. Well, you know, I really enjoy investing. Yeah, but if you don't deal with your income, you'll never get to this point of investing. They have to work together. So the second principle is I think about more than one thing at a time. I see the whole picture. The third principle, mimetic wanting will make me miserable. Mimetic means imitative. Most of the people, <coughs> excuse me, most of the time people don't realize that what they want is actually based on what other people want. In fact, what a good boy. He brought me that, that I see when he showed up for church today. That was my youngest son. That's not a political statement that we support Starbucks, that just, he just knows I like green tea. All right, I'm at the, a friend's house and we're getting ready to go golf. I haven't golfed uh, prior to this, I hadn't golfed in like several years. But I thought, all right, he wants to go, I'll go with him. So we go out in the garage. We go out in the garage, <coughs> excuse me, and there are, there, you know, we walk out there, there's his wife's car, and then there's his car, this beautiful blue Corvette. 
And you know, I don't begrudge him that Corvette at all. He's very generous. He's a generous giver at the church, generous giver in the community, generous with his family. Anytime there's a need, I mean, he is the first one to step up and give, loves people, loves God, loves his family. I mean, I couldn't, he's a great friend of mine, probably one of my best friends in the world. And I knew he had that Corvette, so I saw that Corvette. And you know, I've always been happy. He's had a lot of fun with it. And so, you know, I walk in there and I say, oh man, still got the Corvette. But then I look and on the other side of it, there's another Corvette the same color as that one. And I said, what is that? And he fell over laughing. He said, oh, Ron, I just wanted to get that. And so I look at it, and you know, the first one was, kind of, was the old model, but the new one, remember, the car people know they move the engine back. It's now a mid-engine car. And so it's a different design, different model. He said, I, I, just, I just wanted that. And I, I looked at it, and I, I started chuckling. I turned to him, and we're really good friends. Don't do this unless you're a really good friend, I turned to him and I said, how much was that? And now, like I said, we're good friends. He could have asked me how much my car was. We share information like that. And so I said, how much was that? And he told me. And I thought, huh, I could afford that. Now, when I went in that garage, the idea of buying a Corvette never occurred to me. I didn't want a Corvette. I didn't think they're all that comfortable. You know, I know they go fast, but friends, to be honest, when I'm in traffic, I can keep up with a Corvette. In fact, when I'm in traffic, I pass Porsches, I pass, you know, McLarens. I mean, I'm just, it just when I'm in traffic, it just really doesn't matter a whole lot. But you know, I thought, I have never really thought about it, but he told me how much, and I thought, well, you know, I could afford that. And then he asked, Ron, you want to drive it? Get, like I say, he's a very generous guy. And, you know, I made a joke. I said, nah, I might scratch it, then I'd feel bad. Actually, if I scratched it, I'd probably die laughing. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just a bad person, okay? And so, you know, but really what I was thinking is, nah, if I drive that, I'm just going to want it more. And I didn't really want one when I came in. Why would I want one when I go out? Friends, mimetic wanting can keep you miserable. An awful lot of what we want is actually because other people want it. People don't realize this, but humans are naturally imitative. In fact, humans will imitate what you want. They will even follow your gaze. Now, picture yourself, a, a, young, a young mom holding an infant. If she looks at something, oftentimes the infant will look the same direction. You need to know a dog won't do that. My dog, you know, brings a toy and she drops it and then wants me to play tug of war. And finally, when I got it, she wants me to throw it. Now, it's normally in the house, but, you know, I'll throw that thing and this dog will take off like a rocket chasing that thing. But every once in a while, I'll get it and throw it. And she didn't see which way I threw it. So she'll look at me. And I'm trying to give her a hint where I threw it. So I'll look at her and go... Now, you would turn your head and look, see what was there. And she, what she'll do is just stare at me. And I'll say, it's over there. There. Look, follow my gaze. There. And then finally, I'll get up, and as I walk towards it, she'll look down, see where I'm going. She'll see it and take off like a rocket to go get it. Friends, a dog won't follow your gaze, but a child will. 
An adult will follow your gaze. Mimetic wanting will keep you miserable. It doesn't matter what your brother-in-law, what your friend, or what your neighbor's got, but so much of what you want is based upon what your friend, your neighbor, or your brother-in-law has. Most wanting is mimetic. The Bible warns me about a burning desire or coveting to have what other people have got. It's harder to figure out what you really want than it is to figure out how to go about getting it. Friends, you have to be on guard. When a want is eating you up, you need to start with the question, am I wanting this because I want this or am I wanting this because other people wanted it? Because an awful lot of what humans desire is based on what someone else told them or showed them they ought to desire. Adulting principle number four, everybody needs a spending plan. I wanna come back to this one for just a second. Because people who don't have very much money, they'll say, well, Pastor Ron, I don't really have enough to worry about budgeting. And then people who have a lot of money, they'll say, you know, Pastor Ron, I've got plenty of money. I don't really need to worry about budgeting. You need to know I would disagree with both of you. Look at your notes if you've got them. If you've got limited funds, I've got a, if you've got a spending plan, you won't be scared to get the mail, even if you have limited funds, because you've begun to build up and prepare for it. You won't feel guilt when you spend and you know whether or not you've got the money. You know what I mean? When you go to buy something and you say, well, I, I really shouldn't be buying this, and you go ahead and buy it. One, you have a little bit of fear. Two, you have a little bit of guilt. And three, you go home with this kind of vague anxiety. Friends, a spending plan gets rid of all those things over time. As you refine it, as you build it up, it gets to the point where you're wondering, hey, you know, I haven't seen the electric bill. We should have gotten that by now. It gets to the point where your tires need to be replaced. Oh man, we prepared for that. Most people go spend their lives always confronting unexpected expenses. Friends, there are very few unexpected expenses in life. Very, very few. It does happen, but not very often. Your tires being needed to be replaced, that's not an unexpected expense, okay? Did you think they would last forever? Do you think these are like heavenly tires? We roll through eternity on them? Well, I had to fix my refrigerator. Those are not built to last through the millennium, okay? In other words, it's, a ref it's going to break down. Well, you know, Pastor Ron, I, I didn't expect... If we thought about it, we would say, mm, maybe we need to be putting some into our spending plan for unexpected repairs. Friends, a spending plan will help you get control of limited financing. And for those of you who have a lot, need to know it helps you prioritize what's important to you. It'll help you prevent over-accumulation of stuff. And it's the key to disciplined generosity. How many of you have too much stuff in your house? Raise your hand. You have too much stuff in your house. How many of you have so much stuff in your house that now your garage is full too? It's the human condition of too much, too much money. So, Pastor Ron, we don't have too much money. Yeah, you do. You have too much money because you're accumulating stuff. If your spending plan is really outlined well, it will help you limit what you accumulate. It, it will. If you really work at that, it can begin to help you prioritize. My wife and I, we do our spending plan together each month, and sometimes it takes a while to make time to update it. But I, a couple days we were updating it, and you know, my wife is great with a spending plan, and she would make a fantastic embezzler, okay? I mean, it's just, she's got a gift. And so, 
We're sitting there, and, and she's reading off the expenses, and I'm uh, entering them into the budget. And, and, and so she said, so I said, wait a minute. Did you really spend that money out of that? Well, what did you, what'd you spend that, that category out of? Because I don't know if it was household or something, but she spent an odd amount. She spent right at 100, 100 or $200. I don't remember what the amount was, but it was an even amount. It made me suspicious. I said, what'd you really spend that on? And she said, Nothing. And I, I said, wait a minute, you can trust me, I know what's going on. And she, finally she tells me, I, I sent that, there's a, there's a charitable organization called St. Jude that she likes to support. And so she was sneaking money out of that column to send them. And so I thought, well, wait a second here. And so we got all done with it, and down at the bottom, I added a column for, to send money to that particular charity, because it's on her heart. In fact, when we were driving across the country a few weeks ago, she was so excited because she saw the actual facility along the Interstate 40, and so she was just all, so excited about it. And so I added, in other words, those who have been blessed with plenty, it helps us prioritize, limit our overaccumulation and prioritize our generosity. Friends, whether you have a lot or a little, a spending plan is a blessing in your life, not a pair of handcuffs. And the last one, adulting principle five. If, you, if I don't figure out my income plan and my spending plan, I won't need to worry about my investing plan. Let me say that again. If I don't get my act together on my income plan and write down my spending plan, I won't need an investing plan. Here's why. Income minus spending. Here's the equation. If this is a positive amount, this leads to savings and investing. But if this is a negative amount, this leads to, tell the person next to you, that is how we accumulate debt. So, if I don't get my income plan put together and my spending plan put together, I won't need an investing plan. All I'll really be dealing with is a debt plan. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. I know there's probably a few here, maybe a bunch, that you're under financial pressure right now. In a room this size, this many people, there's going to be people that, man, it is just weighing on you heavy. This weekend and next weekend, when I come back and talk to you again on this, I don't want you to go away discouraged. I want you to go away saying, the Lord loves me, and he's pointing out these principles so I can have a different future. There was a day in my life and Debbie's life where we sat right where you're sitting, where we felt financial pressure, where we felt like, man, we are just, we are just up a creek. We know what those feelings are like. I don't want you to go away discouraged because I was blessed to have a pastor who was my dad who believed in teaching financial principles from the Bible. And so he taught me from a very early age, okay, this is what the Bible says. And the more I began to put that in practice, the more I saw the future beginning to change. Friends, right now, I don't want you feeling discouraged. I want you to feel like, man, God loves me enough to point this out now so my future can be different and maybe the generations after me, it can be different for them as well. Maybe you're someone that God has blessed. We should have grateful hearts from that, for that. 
We should recognize what we have is God's blessing and we are stewards over what he's entrusted to us. The Bible says to bring the tithe into the storehouse, but for a Christ follower, that's a starting point, not an ending point. I am a tither, I set aside 10% of my income I have from the time I was a child. But it should go beyond that. I should see other needs and help meet them. I should see needs in my community. I should see needs within the body of Christ. I should see needs in my church. I look for things that I can be a, a part of, like, man, what a blessing that would be at the church. If you've been blessed, these things help you become more than an occasional giver. They help you become a faithful, disciplined giver, someone whose life becomes earmarked by generosity, because that's what we're called to. Christ followers are generous. Freely we have received, and now freely we give. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray as we study together, you would encourage us, that you would continue to help us to know that you love us, that God, we will not battle self-condemnation, but instead, we will say, Lord, here am I, teach me. We ask it in your name. Amen. Stand with me. I'm going to be here speaking to you next weekend. And then February 2nd, as I said, we'll gather together. I'll help you get into uh, some coaching relationships. I'll help you get into some financial small groups if you'd like. Those will take that time and we'll do question and answers on that evening as well. God bless you. Thanks for being here.